Hello, I'm Allison Sullivan, and this is Center Saint Sister, a podcast that dives into whatever we might be feeling that day. I love introducing you to people that you might not know, but should. And I love connecting you with people you may already know and love, and then letting them share how they have lived life deeply. If you hear something over the next hour or so that you think a friend would enjoy, please consider sharing this episode. And if you haven't already, please consider writing a review. All of those things help us grow the podcast, which is really helpful. I hope you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center Saint Sister. didn't handle quarantine well. Every single routine I had fell apart from when I woke up to when I went to sleep to when I got dressed to when I worked out. Hint, I didn't. My mental health suffered. I didn't think I was such a routine person. I thought creativity and whimsy described me better than structure and order. But it occurred to me that maybe routines were also something I created. Anyway, I had a meltdown. It was in the middle of an episode of Tiger King, which felt appropriate justified. Are you going to watch the new season, you ask? Probably, I answer. And I decided mid-meltdown that something needed to give something. But what? So many of the ways that I was used to taking care of myself had disappeared during quarantine altogether, and I didn't have any creative ideas except, well, to binge a more wholesome, less depressing show. My octopus teacher on Netflix was just the anecdote my hopelessness needed. My octopus teacher is about a man worn out by life, living spread far too thin, and his journey into the ocean and back to himself. It was in stillness and in smallness and simplicity that he remembered crucial truths about the world we live in and our place within it. After watching and celebrating his return to life, something I was craving, I had a thought that I probably needed to get more disciplined about carving out some stillness which seemed ironic considering the stilling nature of a quarantine, but I had become so reactionary. I was living on edge, anxious, panicky. I was relying on social media for community. I mean, in a way, we all were, dear. And with everything being so dang fever-pitched, I wasn't the only one whose mental health was suffering. My tendency was to just rage at all the rage on display. Yeah, I know. I felt cagey and out of control. Narcissists and their pet wild cats will do that to a person, but I realized after my octopus teacher that my capacity to make peace, or not, is almost always directly correlated to the time I spend in silence, in stillness, in prayer, something I have complete control over. Now, I do not live oceanfront. I cannot slip into my wetsuit and follow an octopus around for the vast majority of my waking hours. I can't do that. But I read a post from a friend around this time that made me feel peace, and it said this. It said, silence doesn't have to be something to do. It can be something we allow. And I guess seeking calm had become too bothersome of a chore during that exhausting time. Perhaps I could just allow it. It's what my octopus teacher did. His stillness, it allowed him to linger, to linger over what he loved, Without so quickly being on to the next thing, he allowed himself the gift of something unique and personal. He allowed himself the gift of time and stillness to lean in to what God might have been whispering. And in the stillness of the ocean, the main character discovered or rediscovered all of his first loves, his family, his art, the earth. And so with a shift in my spirit, I learned, 
relearned, that it is only in stillness and in silence that I can really sense how God might be on the move. And I started to feel really connected to this dance God had invited me to. It wasn't a survival dance, what I was doing. It was a sacred dance. My survival dance, while it might have been safe and predictable, it followed the status quo. How it looked was paramount. And it might even actually look good to the world, but it was memorized, rehearsed, perfected, and performed. But the sacred dance. My octopus teacher taught me that it was a gentle invitation. I was summoned to it. I wasn't commanded. And it might not have been rational, likely, or safe, or even well calculated. It was full of starts and stops and imperfections. It experimented. And I loved it so much. I do recognize my tendency to be a good listener to people around me and never really listen all that keenly to myself. And thinking that taking good care of others and taking good care of myself don't have anything to do with each other is an oversight. I'm responsible to myself, my mind and my body and my spirit. It's my job to pay holy attention to an inner voice. What are the things that make me feel renewed? What are the things that cost me too much? And with that information, what do I need to let go of and what do I need to embrace? I have some trouble making big decisions. The little stuff I'm good, reckless even. I know what I want for dinner, I'm a fast shopper, and I will foolishly cut bangs. I don't waste time. But when it comes to the big stuff, analysis can lead to paralysis for me. And the dilemma is this, I'm going to do it wrong. There's obviously a right decision and a wrong decision, a good decision and a bad decision, except the longer I live, the more I realize that when it comes to making the best choices for myself, there is no place God can't go, even if it's deep into the middle of an ocean, probably especially. I'm learning to let myself off the hook because God isn't behind some doors and not others. Sometimes the right decision is the right decision simply because I've made it. God is present wherever I am. With God, there are no dead ends. This is the dance. In stillness, I can feel the leading. God is on the move, and I cannot follow and stay where I am at the same time. So what? So spirit lead me as a prayer? It's been a catalyst for movement and an invitation for creativity, and I've been whispering it a lot lately. I found myself in some places that I never, ever expected. At 43 years old, I'm not letting age keep me from learning something new or chasing something different. Acting. Acting has been my ocean these last couple of months. And I've always had a a bad habit of letting a mean voice in the back of my head saying, you're going to do it wrong, keep me from fully moving into a moment or shutting down an opportunity. But while dancing a sacred dance, I've been able to give that accusing voice the microphone for just a second, acknowledge the discomfort of what I'm hearing, and then shrug my shoulders at it because guess what? Of course I'm going to do it wrong. So what? What would we do if we didn't have to do it perfectly? What would we try? Acting for me has been about being 100% present. And being 100% present has been about being a good listener. And being a good listener has been about being open. And being open has been about performing past my censor. And performing past my sensor has allowed me to move in on moments on faith without analyzing it too much. Just dancing. Sometimes the moving in works and sometimes it doesn't, but moments sure aren't passing me by the way that they used to. I'm praying for all of our allowance to linger over what we love, to be still and to know, to be creative, to remember. No one does these things better than Laura Finucci. If you follow her on Instagram, then you already know. I cherish this conversation 
I got to have with her, and I know that you will too. The USCCB-approved Breaking Bread 2022 eMissile app is now available. The app features instant access to music, readings, prayers, the order of the Mass, providing churchgoers with everything needed to take part in the celebration of Mass. The Breaking Bread 2022 eMissile app is only $4.99 and available for the entire liturgical year. You can get it on Apple or Android devices. You can visit fortecatholic.com OCP or download directly from the App Store or Google Play. Hi, Laura. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. I really, um, I loathe the internet in a lot of ways <laughs> for all of its ills because it just, I don't know, it facilitates us in, in forming these really tight concentric circles where we're just friends with people who affirm who we already are, a little echo chamber of sorts. And, um, it can make it so effortless to compare ourselves to one another for sure. I mean, I could go on forever, but you, Laura, is how the internet redeems itself to me <laughs> for all the ways that it has broken my heart. Um, I would not know you if it weren't for social media. And I'm so, so grateful to know you. There are a handful of voices um, just on social media and that helped me feel really connected to my Catholic community and yours is one of them. And it's like when I, I don't know, I mean, so many things are going wrong and wrong in the world. It's like, I'll log on with kind of one eye open, you know, like who's saying what, and your voice is this little, it's like a little litmus test for me. You know, it's like, I, I'd like to know what Laura thinks about all of this. And so your voice is just very grounding to me. Um, I am certain that we could talk about a million things under the sun, but we are here today to talk about creativity, and I cannot wait for listeners to gather your wisdom on this topic. Welcome. Will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh my goodness. That was such a lovely introduction. Thank you. I'm <laughs> I so, mean, I'm humbled and honored. Uh, wow. Thank you. I mean, every well, word of it. <laughs> it is my joy to be here with you. I'm delighted to have connected with you across these internet miles. Um, it's wild. It's wild. It is. What a world, right? Um, my name is Laura Kelly Finucci. I'm a writer and a speaker. Uh, my husband and I are raising five boys. So this kind of <laughs> soundproofing equipment is a beautiful <laughs> add-on to my life as a mother and a creative person. Right. Um, yeah, we live in Minnesota and I am always kind of constantly juggling these worlds of parenting and caring for the people that God has given mm -hmm. me to care for and mm -hmm. being a creative person and writing books and being a person on the internet, all of that. Um, yeah. But it's really good work. And yeah, I think there are ways that we can find our voice and find our way even through oh my goodness, like the muck and the mess that is yes. right now, um, that still shine a lot of light. So yeah, that's what keeps me doing this work. So flashback, you know, 10 years or so, I think that most people have a blog or had a blog, um, because they were writers, but I wrote because I had a blog. 
So like, so what was happening was that it was my baby book and the miracle of motherhood kept me returning to that space again and again and again. And so I had carved out this space for myself to just be a good documenter. And as I was doing that, as I was pondering and reflecting, I felt and documenting their lives, I felt this really slow shift starting to happen um, as it was becoming more of a part of my routine. And at first I would write in these very stolen moments, you know, it was, it was at nap time. It was while breastfeeding. It was at a park, um, you know, on a bench while they were playing. But there was something I was realizing as I was carving out this these, these moments and, and then feeling a need to make it something that was more routine. I felt this slow shift happening that was like, writing is making me feel more like me. You know, and it was like, especially during motherhood, when so many of your, you know, identity definitions are changing, you know, um, I really needed that. I really craved that. It felt really, really important. Um, I know that you also started writing when you became a mother. Can you tell us a little bit about discovering that you were a writer? Because you are certainly a beautiful writer. Well, thank you. I heard so much of my own story, really, Mm -hmm. in what you were saying, because I started writing back in those blogging days when everyone had a blog. (laughs) Um, I was a new mom, too. And so my oldest, it must have been, you know, 12, almost 13 years ago. And I was a really bewildered new mom. Some people seem to take to it really easily. I was not one of those. I felt like my whole world got turned upside down and Hmm. I was really lost and I was overwhelmed. And I felt like, um, I like as a spiritual person felt like, how do I find God in this real mess of new motherhood? Mm. Like this is so Mm. exhausting and bodily. And so I started Mm. this blog just to try to make sense of that and kind of have a practice of like reflecting. And I mean, I, blogged for a while before I told anyone, like not even my husband, I just kind of did it. And, um, but like you, I found that it made me feel like me. And it was so life-giving that I just kept going. And I'd write about all these intersections of like parenting and faith, even if it wasn't what most people saw or cared about. I just loved that and kind of carved out this little corner of the world and gradually found some more people that loved that and everything kind of grew from there. But it struck me as you were talking, like my professional work, a lot of it has been in theology. And for um, over a decade, I worked on a, it was an ecumenical project in theology that was about vocation and calling. So how to help people come to see their work, their relationships as calling. And I remember coming across this great line from a novelist. I think her name's Gail Godwin, Godfrey. She said that, you know, something is your vocation if it keeps making more of you. Mm. And I love that. Like, I think that's what I found writing to do. It just made me feel like me and it opened up more worlds inside of me and more connections with other people, you know, that I felt like, like I didn't set out to be a writer, but I I sort of discovered it from that connection and the community and the fact that it felt like it was making more of me. Oh, that's really, really gorgeous. I feel like we are often, you know, far larger far greater, far more powerful than we imagine, far more creative than we might even dare to dream. And we can certainly be blind to our own gifts because looking back, it's like, I wrote everyone's love letters in the third grade, you know, and then their breakup letters in the sixth grade. But, you know, but like, that's always been a part of me. I just never claimed it, you know? So I I just, do you ever, have you ever struggled calling yourself an artist 
Have you made peace with that? What's our problem? Why do we do that? Oh my <laughs> gosh. Thoughts? Yeah. Well, it's so much imposter syndrome, right? Like you think yes. I don't have the right to call myself. It took me years to call myself a writer. I think I had published a book and I was still right. like, I, I am a mom and I, and I, do this work in academia. And then I write a little bit on the side. And finally (laughs) someone was like, you're a published author. You can call yourself a writer. And now so much of my work is trying to help other people, other women come to say like, you know what, if you love to write, it doesn't matter if you don't share that with a million people, or if you're not published, like if that is something that's so core to who you are, you get to call yourself a writer. Like you sign that permission slip, you give yourself that permission to claim that as part of you. And yeah, but I mean, I still battle that all the time. Cause people do give yeah. you a weird look when, you know, you're writing out like an occupation form. Like, what do you do? You're a writer. What do you do? What you does know? that mean? <laughs> you know, but I feel like those really dis, um, dis, like labels of distinction. I feel like that could be the problem. Like, can we just have a looser label? Because oh. if you write, then you're a writer. Yeah. If you paint, and that makes you come alive, then you're a painter. If you hike and that makes you come alive, you're a hiker. I was um, kind of lamenting to a spiritual director once. I was like, oh gosh, I just really love to write, but I don't think I'm that good at it. And she goes, Allison, life comes to you in words. That's what makes you a writer. Who cares if you're any good at it? And that was so freeing right? Like what a we don't, gift. Wow. isn't that beautiful? Yeah. I loved the idea of, I mean, because you, so you mentioned imposter syndrome. What if we just made peace? What if it just wasn't a big deal that somebody's better at it than we are? Okay. No, <laughs> or really still, the people who aren't as good as us are already out there doing it. Like that's the other piece <laughs> like, is like, you know what I mean? Like truly yes. you think, Oh, I just, you know, if only I could take that next step. And then you come across someone, you're like, look at how many more people are listening to them. And I think I could I do just, it at least I, that well, right. you know? And like, haven't we all had that experience of looking at yeah. a painting and being like, I'm pretty sure I could do that. Okay. But you didn't. So, yeah. <laughs> well, and like, for me, it took me a long time to call myself an artist. Like I always thought artists yeah. are visual artists really. And then I think yeah. the more that I reflected on it, like theologically and spiritually, it's like, um, no, I like, actually there's something in all of us that's called to create, to make art out of whatever medium life gives us. Like, yeah, yeah. I get to do that. Even if my drawings are like, just pathetic. And I wish I were a better visual artist, but that's not my gift. Like that's not where I am. So, but I can still call myself an artist. I just work with words. Like I can do different things. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think that the common denominator of, of any, you know, whether it's imposter syndrome or that person's better, you know, at it than I am, or that person is getting paid for it, even whatever, isn't that it's so outcome-based, right? When yeah. really, I think we can get fixated on how this is going to end instead of what brings us a lot of joy in this process. Yeah. What process am I really excited about? And like our, our obsession with productivity, you know what I mean? Like you're this yes. productivity machine. You just have to output all this stuff rather than yeah. saying, if you're a creator, if you're like someone who's creating, that has to be this sustainable pace. Like that's not just yeah. a machine who's out there grinding in the world. Like you're, it's part of your identity. It's part of your life. Like it's a lived embodied thing. 
not just absolutely. And also, you know, I think that, um, that's, well, I, I mean, that's going to look very different for all of us. Right. I mean, there are people who are doing beautiful things, creative things in their kitchen. And that makes me twitch. Like that makes the, I, I, uh, and so I, there's going to be something that empowers you that makes me feel imprisoned. There's going to yeah. be something that I want to do. And so I love, you know, kind of freeing women up to be like, what is it that makes you come alive? Like, don't, we don't have to think too hard about this, but is there something that you would lose sleep over? Is there something that you might like forget to eat? Is there something like, let these things, is there something that if you haven't done it in a while, you start to get a little grumpy. And so let these things be pointers to whatever it is that, that makes you come alive. That makes your heart stir. Totally. Like, I think one of my favorite definitions of a calling is something you can't not do, you know, like you will do it if nobody else is paying you. I mean, it would be better and probably more helpful if, you know, someone did, but you know, you, it like, it makes more of you. It, it makes you come alive. And I think, yeah, yeah, being able to, to kind of like break down some of those boxes of what we thought like creative work was, or a calling was, you know, sometimes that can be a helpful framework. And sometimes it's not like, I can remember stressing to a coworker once about I didn't feel like I, I had like the gift of hospitality. I would see these women who could just like open their homes and they were beautifully yes. decorated and like they could have this beautiful meal on the table. And I'm like making mac and cheese for the fourth time that week. For sure. And I was like, okay, hospitality is just not my gift. And she yes. looked me straight in the eye and said, you have this gift for making hospitality with your words. Like you make people mm. feel seen and welcome. And that just like that changed the whole equation for me. I was, it was like, hospitality is something I want and I long for, but maybe it's never going to look like my home looks like Martha Stewart, but I can be like open and generous and hospitable in what I write and people can find their way there too. So that was really helpful. Yeah. That was a gift. There's such a, um, in, in claiming our gifts, I feel like there's an element of just a calm acceptance of whether it's embracing, you know, what we have, but also letting go what we don't, you know, and not strong arming this thing that we think makes us more, what, you know, woman, womanly or motherly or, or whatever. Um, and so I love what you said about, I kind of want you to say it again. Um, a calling is what you can't not do. You, I think you said it a a little differently, but I love that. No, that's it. That you can't not do like, you're just, you're, you're made for that. And I think sometimes it takes us a long time to find that. Like I said, like I did not, it's not like I got an English degree and like got all the things you were supposed to do. I kind of made choices that led me to a place where I discovered this as part of my life's work, but yeah. it's not always like, oh man, I wanted to be a doctor from the time I was four. And I just like knew I was wired for that. I think a lot of us, it's like a winding path, you know, that we end up where we're yeah. called to be. I've, I've, you mentioned the word discovery and I, I I love that because I think so much of figuring out what that thing is that makes our heart burn and stir and not be able to really sit still can't not do is so much of that is a rediscovery. You know, it's like, um, something that we loved doing when we were little. I mean, I'm like writing everybody's love letters, like I said, you know, and so it did feel like a rediscovery. And so asking yourself that question of what did you love to do before somebody said it didn't matter? What did you love to do before somebody said you weren't any good at it or you found out somebody could do it better? You know, I feel like so much is a returning. 
Total. I always, whenever I do retreats on like calling or even on creativity, I always ask people that, like, tell me yeah. three things you wanted to be when you were younger. Cause a lot of us had, you know, you went through your phase where you wanted to be this, that, and the other. I always think there's some little kernel in there of like mm-hmm. what you wanted to be. Like I wanted to be an astronaut. I have zero gifts for math and science that would have ever made NASA want me. But like, I love these big questions. I love wondering oh. about the whole, and I realized like, that's what that was about. I just wanted to like be a sky gazer and try to ask these big questions. But actually that was like writing and theology and all that, oh my was that for me instead. You know? That gives me chills all over. I love it so much. Ah, um, I, I feel like one of my gifts is helping people find their gifts, and I don't know what that gift is. But um, but when I meet like a like-minded person in this area, I'm just like, ah, I do. I want to go sit in your library with you. Um, okay, so I feel like there are like we've been saying, you know, bar- these barriers to naming and claiming our creative sides. We've already talked about a lot of them, but um, you know, being an expert feeling like you're an imposter, but there are also, um, really busy schedules. There are also our hectic lives. There are also really full emotional plates where we don't feel like we have anything extra than just getting through a day. And so there's evils of this world that can feel soul sickening to us. But what I love about you, Laura, and how your your message is, is specific is that you really specialize in creating in the midst of chaos. Will you tell us about this passion of yours and how we can better shake loose the demands of this world and connect with our inner artists despite it? Yeah, absolutely. I think this grew right out of how I became a writer. Like I was in the midst of chaos. I had little kids at home. I wanted to write. There was no, you know, tower in a castle where I could go and just shut myself up and like write the great American novel. That was literally never going to be my life. I think the other frustrating piece was I would since I am kind of self-taught as a writer, I read a lot. Mm. And I would, when I was starting out, I wanted to read all these books on writing. Like, Mm. how can I get good at it? And all of them seem to presume that I would have a lot of time and space alone in the quiet. Right. To me, that just like reeked of privilege. I thought there's no way that that is how humans have to create. Like, that's just not how the world looks for most people. Yeah. So all along, I feel like in my life as a writer and as a parent, I've been kind of collecting all the little ways, like what were the tips and the tricks that I was learning for myself of how to create in this season? Like, what was it like to try to write when I just had, you know, a baby and a toddler or when the kids were in like more of a school age mode, or what's it like in the summer versus when they're in school? Like there's Mm -hmm. so many changing seasons when you're caring for other people. I think it applies too. if like, I mean, I work with empty nesters who are like, you know, I've got like, I'm trying to care for my parents and my kids in college. Like I have a lot emotionally on my plate. So I think I've really been driven all along to say, what are these other ways that we can create in the chaos? And I don't even think chaos is a really negative word. Like I embrace that to say, I don't know, even like spiritually, like Christians go back to the book of Genesis, there's chaos in the beginning and God's spirit like hovers over it. And that's where the spark of creation happens. And I like when I read that for the first time as a writer trying to like, you know, with a baby on my breast and like the toddlers running around doing whatever I thought, wait, it's not, it's not impossible for me. It's going to look different than maybe what I would love or what other people are telling me I need to do, but I can still do this. So I feel like I'm always learning for myself. Like, what's it like to kind of write on the margins of these busy seasons of life. But I also love 
to help other women, other parents come to see you can still create within your own life. A lot of times it's going to be alongside your kids, or maybe it's, you know, kind of on the bookends of the day, early morning or later at night, it might not be ideal, but you can still feed that drive inside you, right? Like you can still be a creative person in the middle of your life right now, if you're willing to experiment a little bit and maybe willing to give up that picture perfect vision of like what a writer's life would be, you know? Right. Right. So what are, what are some, as far just getting in a creative space, what are some catalysts and barriers for you? Um, because I feel like so much of it is, is mental and emotional for me. Um, you know, I get to the end of my day and kids are finally in bed and I feel like all of my really good ideas come to me at very inopportune times. (laughs) It's like, I will be just falling asleep, like just at the edge of unconsciousness. And I'm like, that's brilliant. (laughs) And I think that there's something about the release of the day that actually frees me up. It's like, I'm not critical of, you know, the, the thoughts that I'm having. And so there's a certain kind of release that allows some creativity to come in that moment, but it's so inconvenient because I don't want, I don't want to wake myself up. I need sleep. Um, so anyways, but what are, what are some barriers? Let's start with barriers. What are some things that are, that just make it really, really difficult for you? I know, I know that we talked about, um, you know, just the demands of, of our family, but maybe more emotionally, are there things that shut you down? Yeah. Well, I, I actually am a person who loves, uh, you know, quiet and clutter free kitchen. And I don't have that. So I think I am constantly preaching it myself. Like this is not my ideal mode in which to create. Um, but what you were just saying actually about noticing those times of day that you feel more creative or that you have more energy. Like for me, I think a big barrier, especially when I was starting out was thinking, my life is just so full. Like it's jam packed all day. Then I'm exhausted by the end of the day. And then emotionally, I'm feeling like I have spent myself out for my family all day. And I don't have anything left for me. So that I'm getting resentful and bitter. And I feel guilty about getting resentful. You know, it's like this whole spiral. And I remember reading on some writer's blog that she kind of mapped out her day and she said, I I've started over the course of this week to just notice when do I have really good energy to create? Mm. And when do I not like, when is my energy or my creativity really low? Now that might not map perfectly with when your available time is to create, but it was, but it's good information, right? But it was like, I did not know until that point. It sounds silly, but I I did not know I was a morning person because I actually, I do like to stay up late, but my best creative energy and time is in the morning. So like, if I can just roll out of bed and come into this office and kind of not talk to anybody and just like, I can get into flow. So for me, that's worth it to actually like get up at five or five 30, not right. all the time, but sometimes like when I need that to just, I'm craving it. I know that's going to be good time for me versus like, if I know I'm only going to get late night hours to create, then I'm going to leave stuff. That's like research or format this thing, or, you know, stuff that's not the same kind of creative juices flowing. I don't have that same energy that time of day. So I think getting over the barrier of thinking like, well, any spare moment I have to sit down and create, I have to be able to just Mm -hmm. like pump it out and get creative right now. It doesn't happen, but learning how to like use time and space wisely 
where and when I could get it, that really transformed a lot of those like emotional barriers for me. Totally. It's so practical. Oh, thank you for that. I feel like, you know, you mentioned a tidy space and absolutely. I do. I feel just so much freer. Like I can just exhale and I am not a neat person. I am not overly organized. I mean, it's, in fact, I just said to my husband the other night, I'm like, this house is so messy. We just need to move. I mean, (laughs) um, but there is something about maybe it's just having a clean, just a clean sink or just a clean counter that makes me feel a little like I can exhale and kind of get on to something with a little less anxiety. Um, I think that my, one of my biggest barriers though, is having this idea of what I want to do. You know, I'll, I'll have, um, I'll be able to look at the top of the mountain and then I look at the top of that creative mountain and and go, oh, but how am I ever going to get there? And so having enough um, uh, patience with myself to just look around instead of up and kind of do those those next right things and not insist on a final draft too soon, because I think obviously a big thing that we can get stuck in is comparing our, our middle work to someone's end work, yeah. you know, but that just really shuts oh, my me love. Yeah. That's by, um, this poet, David white, and it's called start close in. And it's all about Ooh. that. It's like, you have to start close in with just the next step. Sometimes it's the step you don't want to take, but yeah, don't take the second or third. You only that's can take so the good. next one. And I love that. Like, cause it's yeah, so me good. too. I would love to just leap ahead. Like I would love because to be I- done analysis leads to paralysis. It's like, and now I'm not doing anything. (laughs) Not only am I I not doing the great thing, but I'm not doing anything. Um, You know, as far as catalysts, I'd love to know what kind of gets you into a space, um, you know, where juices are flowing. But I, Julia Cameron has really good language around um, dating yourself, (laughs) like taking kind of romancing your inner artist. And so I think that there are probably things that are specific to each person. That's like, I feel, I feel taken care of right now. Um, What are some, what are some things that that get you in a good space? I, yeah, I love, I remember reading that in her book and thinking, I would like to go on a date with myself. There are things I like to do that I don't need anybody else around for. I do love like Saturday mornings at the coffee shop. Just, I could sit in there all day. I love the ambiance of like, yes, doing my own work with my own music, but kind of being around other people, maybe eavesdropping a little bit. Uh I love the power of like getting out into nature and taking a walk, especially if I feel stuck. And I'm actually amazed the more that I read about other writers lives, like how many of them had a daily walk as part of their work. I think sometimes when you get stuck on something to literally get out, move your body, get into creation, you just, things kind of shake loose, you know, that wouldn't normally do that. So yeah, when I can have some of that, I just love it. But even if when I'm strapped for time, like when I'm stuck doing things like cleaning the kitchen or folding just mountains of laundry, I will just put on like a podcast, whether it's about writing or it's an interview between two really interesting people or poetry. Like, I feel like I love poetry. I don't know a lot about it. So I'll listen to these little poetry podcasts and just to get interesting words in my head. Like so often then I'll just be sitting there with heaps of laundry and I've like turned off the podcast and I'm scribbling something down because it does just get my brain in another place. Even Mm -hmm. if my hands are like having to do, you know, menial things. I love that freedom of 
knowing I can always be creating something in my head, even if I'm doing something else with my body, you know? Yeah. I, we, um, we have very similar dates. You and (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I do. I want to get outside. I want to hear some music and it is always, you know, after moments like that. Um, Unfortunately for me, I, I loathe running. Um, I talk about it a lot because my friends are like, it's really great prayer time for me. And I'm like, I'm just praying to not die. Um, but I'm like concentrating on breathing. Ironically, I, and I think it's, um, from desperation, but I get really good ideas while I run too. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I get great ideas like in the shower. I feel like everything is figured out by the time I've rinsed off the conditioner. I'm like, this is it. It's so good. So literally now I will like have my phone out there on the ledge by the bathtub and I'm over here, like in the voice memo or for like sure I'll do voice to text just on my own notes app. Cause I think sometimes when you are a busy mom, like that's the easiest way to grab it. And you don't get to sit down when inspiration strikes. So I just think if I grab it, I can come back and get it later. Yeah. But like, I'm that sure. Little, yeah. The shower, the showers too. So I think it's the repetition of running. I don't know. I don't know what it is about a shower again, probably just a release of, you know, and so I, I'm sure that this has been invented, invented, but I think that we should have little whiteboards, like little (laughs) things that you can put in the shower and like, Oh, that was, that was great. That was really great. (laughs) Completely. All the more reason to just linger in there for like 10 extra minutes. Kids, I can't come out. I'm like, right. You know, I'm working. I'm actually working in here right now. Sorry. Um, Yeah, that's great. Um, So there was this empirical study done and it was worldwide and it was big churches, small churches, all kinds of churches, state run, whatever, um, that found that Christians are happier, most or happiest rather when we are using our gifts. And so I'm just convinced. I don't even know, Laura, that we get to choose what it is we're passionate about. I think it's just something that God puts there and it's something that we get to uncover and discover and embrace and then use it to love the people around us. You have done such a beautiful job of loving people around you with the gifts um, that you've been given. What was there any one thing that just freed you up to say, I'm doing this and I'm doing this with really serious intention? Oh, that's such a good question. I think it took me a long time. Like I was doing all this writing on the side of my, you know, day job and raising kids working from home. And I think it took me so long to give myself that permission to say, you know what, I am going to make, I'm going to take a leap. I am going to quit my job. I'm going to try to do this writing and speaking full time. I just, you know, what pushed me over the edge actually was thinking about it as a parent, was thinking if one of my kids came to me in their 20s, 30s, 40, and said, you know what, I have this, ah, I have this thing I want to do. And I know it sounds a little crazy and it might mean leaving a good job and a stable thing, but I just feel like God might be calling me to do it. And it's, I don't know, should I take the leap? I would say in a heartbeat, I would say, yeah, do it. You get to live one time on this planet. And it's not like we're always going to soar. Like you might fall. It might not work out, but then I will be there for you. And I realized, you know Mm -hmm. what? I gotta, I gotta just try this. Like it, I don't know what will come of it, but 
it has been the thing that keeps me up at night. It has been the thing I can't not do. I'm always coming back to, I will like stay up and give up my sleep to do this. Cause I just, it sets me on fire. And I think realizing like caring for myself, like I would care for one of my kids who was wrestling with that discernment that did flip the script for me. Oh, and I, I thought, love it. That's beautiful. It. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and wouldn't an enemy love to make us think that we don't have any gifts that God just kind of passed us over when he was handing them out. Wouldn't an enemy love to make us think that we don't have anything special enough to offer or that we didn't do it well enough or that it was Mm self-indulgent to do it. I mean, I think an enemy would love to plant a mean voice in the back of our head saying, who do you think you are? And I think that when we realize that the gifts that we've been given might not even be for us. I mean, we love doing yeah. it and what a bonus that is, but it might be for others. I think our gifts are just how we're going to love people the best. You yeah. know, it's how we're going to be like this giant indicator to this. This is who, whose I am and what brings me joy is totally. using our gifts. I remember working with a couple like brilliant theologians in my work who said that the way like what charism means, that word that Christians mm. use for like a spiritual gift literally means like the power of God moving through you for mm. other people. And mm. that was just like, it's not like a gift is like given to you in a little box just for you, sweetie. You just enjoy that. Like you want, it's literally yes. like you are a channel. So you open yourself up, you let it flow out. Cause it is for other people like this is for the common good. This is not just for you and your own like success or your own ego. It's to be of service. It's to bring more joy and peace and justice and love into this world. So like, amen. it doesn't do anybody any favors if you keep it locked up. Like we oh. need it, you know? Praise God. I love that so much. That's so beautiful. Um, um, so last question here before you start to tell us everything you're doing and and where to find you. But we have seen work, like there's things that we put out and then we have unseen work. And I feel like when we, when we create and when we share it, we are inherently just opening ourselves up to the evaluation of another. Like when we create and put something vulnerable out there, we are so quickly telling people how they can celebrate us, how they can criticize us, how they can ignore us. (laughs) Um, Do you care Laura, how your writing is received. Are there voices that matter to you regarding um, criticism or praise? Yes, I do. And I wish (laughs) I would say not at all. I just, it rolls off my back. Do you know what helps me the most though is, and as I'm saying this, I'm realizing this is a callback to this practice for me because I think I've slipped away from it. The more that I do I keep a creative stream. That's just for me Mm. of like journaling. And that is just for me and the eyes of God. Like nobody else sees that. I think that knowing that these words are kept sacred, they're safe. They aren't, they, they don't have to be made vulnerable or open to anybody's, you know, Mm. celebration or criticism that protects enough of me and my heart and soul to be able to share the little part of it that I'm meant to share with other people. Cause when I get into the groove where I'm just trying to like make content that people might like, or sounds witty or clever, brilliant. It's like, it doesn't have the same life in it than during the times in my life where I'm like 
really prayerfully creating in a little place that's imperfect, but it's just for me and God. And I always think like, if I, you know, am creating anything, probably 90% of that needs to be kept to the side and about 10%, like that little tip of the iceberg is all I'm going to set sail, you know, because that just, that does then, yeah, people are going to criticize that it's the internet. You could put out the nicest thing and people would be like, really, do you know what? I'm totally offended by this. (laughs) So I think you have to have some space where, you know, like, you, your worth does not lie in other people's opinion of you that the whims of the likes and the shares, all of that will come and go. But like, you are a good beloved, like child of God before you're for anybody else. And, and here you just get to nurture that relationship. And so I imagine if I were a painter, I probably would want to do work that nobody else saw, you know, it's the same kind of thing. We do have to keep some of that safe and sacred. Yeah. Yeah, But isn't that such a common booby trap to link what other people think about us to what we think about ourselves. Totally. And I mean, I just feel like that's something I'm not ever going to be able to wipe my hands of. Like, that's just something I'm going to keep have to returning to again and again and again. But I do think, you know, and it, I, I don't know. I, I think that there's a part of me that's like, oh, I'm not ever going to care what anybody thinks about what I write. And I don't know that that that's probably too far on the other end too, because I think that I should care how it's received, yeah. but it's, but it's who, who do I care from? It can't be the masses. But, um, you know, when my my friend said this one day, and I thought it was really beautiful, but she said, am I like open to the world telling me, am I beautiful? No, the world's broken. I don't really care what the world, if the, what the world thinks about regarding my beauty. But when my husband tells me I'm beautiful, whether it's I'm dressed up in a sparkly dress going to dinner with him or I'm delivering our baby. I believe him, you know? So there are these, a a few inner circle voices that I, that I do think it's, it's okay to get feedback from, but opening up to the masses is certainly misguided. Well, and that's belovedness too, isn't it? Like that's just saying there's just a small little circle of people to whom I'm going to be beloved, you know, like it's God and it's, you know, my spouse or my family or my best friends, but like, I'm not beloved to people who are following whatever on Instagram. Like, that's great that if my words can help them or reach them, help them see the world in a new way. Awesome. But like, I'm not called to be their beloved and they're not mine. So I can't like, sun's not going to rise and set based on what they think about me. Oh, that, that's such a beautiful way to bring that right down to the brass tacks. Thank you so much for that. That's really beautiful. Um, so I don't think the question is, uh, you know, are we creative or are we not? But instead, it's have we let ourselves um, be creative? And so we're here for just a moment in time and how we spend it matters. It has eternal significance. Um, and I just Thank you so, so much for all of the work that you're doing, helping women find their true voice. Um, Tell us exactly where you are and exactly what you're doing, because I know that you are doing some things online that are helping women along in this regard. Please um, do not feel, be unabashed in in talking about yourself and, and what you're doing. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at this messy grace, but I've started another little side account on Instagram that is create in the chaos. And I'm actually now offering some live sessions for other, I mean, it's kind of targeted for like writer parents or, you know, creatives who are moms, but anyone who wants to create in their chaos. So we're really diving into kind of the nuts and bolts of how to make this work. Cause I think a lot of that I had to stumble through like 
trial and error on my own. And I just think if there's any of that I can offer other people, please take it, you know, like see what it looks like in your life. So you can check that out um, at my website, which is my whole name, laurakellyfinucci.com. And I have my live sessions up there for creating the chaos and the other books that I've written. And I often lead online retreats. So that's all there as well. Um, Yeah. And I also write a weekly newsletter that's called the holy labor and it's about it's a way to share other people's good creative work like i love to just collect what everybody's doing and share it because i am forever obsessed with this idea of calling and how the world is like made richer by it so on my website laurakellyfinucci.com you can sign up for that newsletter and i also share kind of longer form essays there too because I'm a big wordy person and, you know, Instagram is like, you I get know. this much space. That's it. I know. I, I know. I, and Twitter, forget it, please. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. Mm-mm. Can't be done. <laughs> Thank you so much. You are, you are a sister. You're a sage. I just, I, I log on to the internet and I'm going to continue to take deep breaths and exhale with you. You're such a calming, loving, accompanying space for me. Guys, go follow quickly. Thank you, Laura, so much. Your gift. Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. Grotto Network is a platform that shares stories to inspire our generation of Christians. Whether you're fallen away or a daily churchgoer, They also provide content that will help you navigate our crazy lives with everything from healing from an eating disorder to finding a mentor, with everything from dating advice to finding purposeful work. Their Instagram account is a constant stream of inspiration with videos, articles, poems, and playlists. Follow Grotto Network on Instagram at Grotto Network at G-R-O-T-T-O Network and share it with all your friends. Good morning, Beef. Good morning, Beefy Beef Beef. Hi, hi, hi. Um, Okay, so when I finished talking to Laura, I think I looked at Taylor and was like, that might have been one of, like, that might have been my very favorite interview. Mm -hmm. I hesitate Mm -hmm. to say that because I feel like I love every single Mm -hmm. person in such a a unique way. Maybe it was effortless. Maybe it was, like, really easy. But I just loved her so much. I feel like we could have talked a whole other hour and I would have been even more encouraged and more inspired. I loved her so much. I loved, I loved her and I loved y'all like y'all, y'all share mm. gifts. Um, and the, just her humility about her gifts, um, and the way that she struggled to claim them. And I think, I think people are going to love listening to her because she just, it's gives so relatable, permission. right? Yes. Permission yeah. to claim what you like about you, you know, just claim <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So you and I have had several conversations about how, um, you do not think you're an artist and you don't think you're creative. And I'm always like, well, that's because you're not being creative enough about what creativity, what is creativity? I call that (laughs) being very, very beefy and stretching something really, really far. (laughs) And so I, I, I feel like, you know, you are such a creative problem solver. Like you can put a new spin on any person on any situation, on any complex idea. I feel like you are wildly creative when it comes to reframing things. This makes you infinitely amazing at your job. Um, I also feel like you're a wizard in the kitchen, which feels really creative to me. I mean, I feel like you're creative in so many ways that you don't claim as creativity. It's really, really nice. I'm sweating. Um, I guess, I mean, none of those things sound like, and I do not think they are creative because they're just 
they're not creating something beautiful and something new um, like you do with words. So I don't like, admi- I don't admire the things that I create, like, like I do mm. with the things that you do maybe, but, mm. and they're also, it's just easy for me. Right. When I think of the word create, I think work, right. Like to make something from scratch. Mm. Um, and because those things are easier for me, I guess it just, it's not hard enough to be creative. And I feel like you are tapping into something that every, that is so common to the human experience, which is Mm. what I'm good at. Doesn't, it's like we flip through this catalog of gifts, you Mm -hmm. know, kind of wishing for things that aren't ours. I have spent so much time wishing that I was a different kind of writer or Mm. even wanting to act in a more recognizable way or whatever. And it's like, we long for gifts that, God hasn't necessarily like, you know, perfectly paved a way for. And Mm -hmm. so what you're saying is the ways that I'm creative feel easy to me. What if that's just it? Like, what if the real creativity of our lives is kind of sinking into what comes so naturally to us that it doesn't even feel like work? And that is your greatest gifting. And that is your best, easiest, most glorious way to say thank you to the love that he gave first. Like, I don't know that it has to be hard. But what if it's not? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I really think that this is what this whole episode is about and why it's going to resonate with so many people. There was, okay, so um, our elves, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's Advent and I just set up our elves and I put them like playing at the piano and there was this note beside them that said, what is it that makes you feel more you? Whatever that thing is, mm-hmm. do it and mm-hmm. know that God put it there, you so know? Good. And so if it's reading a book, if that makes you feel more like you, could you argue, oh, that's not creative or, oh, that's not a gift? I just disagree. Yes. I yeah. feel, <laughs> you know, <laughs> is it walking in the woods? Is it playing an instrument? Is it, what is it? Is it mm-hmm. creating a meal? Is it playing football? I, I mean, I just feel like there's something within each of us that makes us come alive. Having a conversation with your beefy. Yes. Honestly, I <laughs> yes. do. I think there's a talent for conversation. I mm-hmm. That is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You should get a podcast, Beef. <laughs> <laughs> All good. <laughs> All right. Love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. Thank you so much for tuning in. That's our show for today. If you would like more Sullivan content, you can head on over to YouTube at Allison Sullivan. There's a lot to check out there. Or you can go where I post the most, which is Sullivan Family TikTok. Thank you for tuning in week after week and for all of the support. Today's show was a production of Allison Sullivan in conjunction with the Forte Catholic Podcast Network. For more great Catholic podcasts, head on over to ForteCatholic.com slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.